our lives present challenges and triumphs. Triumph Talks. I'm grateful to be here today, Brian O'Shea, the first of our Triumph Talks podcast, and I'm very honored to be here. I'm very grateful to the Recovery Lab for this, and I'm very grateful to have my long-term colleague and sacred friend Morgan Grace with us today. Morgan Grace and I are very blessed. We have shared clients and shared work for many years, and I'm grateful you're here, Morgan. How are you this morning? I'm doing so well. I'm also very honored and grateful to be here. Thank you for the invite and looking forward to seeing how the rest of our conversation unfolds. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Morgan, let's begin with a little moment of breath. Let's you and I just do a little moment of breath, as you often teach people and as I often teach people. Just a couple of moments of breath. And when we're ready, we'll come back into the room. So, Morgan... Please tell us a little bit about your professional life, the early days when you and I were working together, and I'm very interested to hear about your intensives, talking about your intensives that you're doing now so beautifully out in that sacred space. And what is the name of that town? It's not Driftwood. What is the name of the town where your where your experientials go on? Mm-hmm. It's still considered Austin, but it's in a subdivision that has a lot of properties with a lot of land called Bear Creek. So it's uh, southwest Austin off of 1826. Beautiful, beautiful. (laughs) All right. So please tell us a little bit about your journey and we'll leave out the thing that I love that you were a singer and had that beautiful chapter and we're going to jump right into your behavioral health. (laughs) Sounds good. Yes, this field is a second career, as Brian just uh, gave away my first first calling. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I went through my own, you know, I'm a trauma survivor. I went through my own experiences while I was in the music industry and found that making the choice and commitment to heal myself um, rippled outward into the collective in my little pocket of the universe, so much so that I couldn't not switch to this career as my now profession and mission. So I have a history of working in treatment center settings. I started my private practice pretty immediately after finishing school and my clinical hours. And all of that has culminated into what is now our group practice and healing center called Alchemy Collective. So we're based in Austin, downtown Austin, um, but we also have an original office location, as Brian also mentioned, in Bear Creek, um, set on 10 acres of beautiful land. And 
there's a yurt and an Airbnb cabin and a yoga studio and all these beautiful trees where people can truly prioritize their healing uh, without any kind of distractions. And so I'm very honored to be able to work in both spaces. And more and more, I believe, you're calling your community, your healing community, is asking you more and more to do your intensives. Mm-hmm. Which is something I'm extremely excited about and I'm pivoting into offering full time now. So what intensives look like and why I made the switch is being a licensed therapist, trauma specialist. I work a lot with the intersection between trauma, the dissociation that results from trauma and substance use. Uh, I've noticed that breaking up that really sacred work over the course of shorter sessions, it's beautiful. Um, And when I've offered intensives in a 90 minute format or what I'm evolving more into, which is offering multi-day intensives where people do their trauma work in two, three hour blocks at a time um, that we're able to cover so much more ground more quickly. And my ultimate goal is to help people access relief as quickly as possible because it's hard to do this work. And so, yes, I am, I'm offering those intensives full time and I I'm so grateful to you, Brian, for being a part of the Alchemy team now, and we'll be able to do some more family work together as a part of those intensives. I'm so proud to be part of your team and to be in professional community with you and spiritual healing community with you. And it's really beautiful for me. You as I will embarrassingly say, you actually know me. (laughs) You've seen me at the beginning. That was early days of one of the treatment centers we worked at. And it was that complex time of the early years of the creation. And so you've seen me at my best and you've seen me when I'm tired. And we've Mm -hmm. seen great victories that we were collaborating on. And it's very, very much an honor for me to be working with you, and I look forward to it so much. Talk a little bit about, please, some of your education. You have wonderful education. Talk a little bit about the different modalities and even the classic simple things that you got licensed for, but talk Take some time and talk about all the different wonderful things that you have as education, as practice, as spiritual healing, as psychiatric psychological modalities. Talk about that and take your time. Sure. So when I first graduated with my master's degree in clinical social work and started my hours, I first um, came across and personally benefited from when I was going through my trauma healing journey, EMDR. And so that was the first one on my radar um, was to get certified and being able to offer EMDR to folks. Shortly thereafter, I came across the term parts work and was very intrigued by what that meant and how 
much sense it made to know that we all have these aspects of self that hold different experiences, hold different ways of protecting us. And so that led me into doing some training in internal family systems and energy work. Um, acceptance and commitment therapy came after that. And what I'm most passionate about that I could talk all day long about um, is something called the Comprehensive Resource Model, or CRM, uh, which I discovered about five years ago. And it is has been a game changer for me personally and professionally. It combines our relationship with our breath and our bodies through breath work, it works with parts of self. It works with our connection to our ancestors, our connection to nature, and in a really like fully resourced way so that people with any experience that they're trying to work through can access that material that they thought was absolutely impossible or intolerable or something bad would happen if they did. And I see time and time again you know, individuals being able to step into what they thought was truly impossible, remember it, feel it, and heal it. And um, so I pursued my full certification in the comprehensive resource model. I'm now a consultant and help therapists uh, around the world who are also training in CRM and working towards their certification. And I'll soon be Uh, a fully authorized trainer starting next year so I can continue to spread the mission of CRM and and what it can help people access in themselves, which is that the remembering of who people really are independent of any kind of trauma in this timeline and that they have everything in them that they need to heal. It just takes shining a light in a really gentle but effective way that I'm so honored um, to see CRM hold the power to do for people. So that's my, that's my spiel there. <laughs> oh, that's so wonderful. So powerful. So powerful. And with CRM, when you think of it, color it in a little bit more. What are some of the things that happen in a two hour CRM or a CRM intensive If you don't mind, tell us a little bit, you know, we begin with breath and then we walk and then we journal or what does it look like? Of course. So in CRM, we talk about the resources offered within the whole modality as like the Russian nesting dolls, the stacked dolls. Uh. The first one starts with attunement, meaning our ability to be present and aware of what's happening, not only within ourselves as the therapists, but what's happening in the client. And then what's happening energetically in that exchange of attunement throughout the work and the process. Then we weave into connection with the breath, you know, people who are navigating really severe trauma, dissociative experiences, um, substance use, depression, anxiety, I could go on and on. There typically is a very real, valid, profoundly valid fear of feeling in general. And so before we do any kind of trauma processing, we have to assess and work through the obstacles to being in the present moment in the body. 
in a way that is tolerable so that we can move into the deeper work without someone dissociating, pulling out of the process. You know, we all have what CRM describes as defense responses, and those include the more classically uh, talked about fight, flight, freeze, but we also have hide, avoid, submit, people please, achieve, 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 and, and dissociate and numb and collapse, all of those. And so we talk about those as defense responses and how parts of us hold the need to protect us by doing one or more of those things. So for using substance use as an example, there's the part of us who holds the pain that creates the need for the addiction. And there's the parts who hold in that addictive cycle, the need to dissociate through different substances, the need to hide, avoid pain. Um, so that's kind of a breakdown of what we explore in an intensive with CRM <laughs> is working through the fears of feeling. And then finally, doing the processing work necessary until a lot of people come up across a fear of even healing because, oh my gosh, without this substance, without this relationship, without this memory, without this way of protecting myself, who am I now? And the good news is whoever you want to be and, and whoever you want to define yourself to be, but that can be really scary and very new. Um, so I hope that answers your question in a thorough way. Oh, it's that beautiful. Is <clears throat> it's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I see how it shares space with some of what I study a lot. It shares space with the polyvagal sciences. And I can see where in many ways it takes the polyvagal sciences but it's much more of an embodied practice and it's much more of a healing and that need for co-regulation in polyvagal sentences is in many ways the need for attunement. So it's different yeah. schools saying the same thing with a couple of different words. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Different nuances, same same concept, same mission, for sure. Which is beautiful. Which is beautiful. <laughs> now, what is your time frame like today? Do we have a few more minutes, or do you need to go back to work, or what's the story? I, about, I got about five more minutes. That's what I thought. That's what yeah. I thought. <laughs> so, and we're very grateful for you being here today. Mm. Very grateful. Truly an honor, Brian. So, let's talk now about... One of my favorite subjects, you know, sometimes people call me and say, hey, O'Shea, give me a give me a great idea for a group or a great idea for a meeting. What's a great idea? And I always say, because this is the truth, well, the first thing that comes to mind is Brian O'Shea. I think you should talk about Brian O'Shea. He comes to mind, you know, and they, they say, well, no, no, O'Shea. <laughs> so... Getting on to my favorite subject as a recovering narcissist in recovery from substances and trauma, talk a little bit about, I'm so excited that I am a sponsored person for you for a Brian O'Shea group, and please talk a little bit about the Alchemy Group with Brian O'Shea on trauma and addiction recovery. Talk about your vision for that and, and what that's going to be like and 
please uh, help us. And let's talk a little bit about that. Yes, I'm so excited about this. So, yes, Brian will be starting a group virtual for male identifying clients called Stronger Together. It will take place every Tuesday, starting October 3rd from 5.30 to 6.45 p.m. And we'll have about eight to 10 folks joining us. Um, And the mission of this particular group is for you, Brian, to hold space and share and engage folks in an experiential way um, to help navigate the recovery process of both substance use and trauma recovery as well. And so I would leave it to you to maybe describe in more detail what you hope to use in the group. And I'm just super stoked that you're going to be offering this to folks who could really benefit from your work. Well, I'm very honored. And would you be kind enough to tell us the phone number people can call to sign up? Yes. Um, So to sign up, you can either call or email The phone number is 512-730-9495, or you can email me directly at morgan at alchemycollectiveaustin.com. You can also check out um, more about Brian and his bio and the group offering in more detail on our website at www.alchemycollectiveaustin.com. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And for me, more and more and more, I'm realizing my story is a story of recovery from trauma, a recovery from lack of nurturing, and a recovery from a complete disconnection you know, my, I really believe trauma sometimes, certainly with my sacred mother, who was a very loving person, she was in trauma and fear when she was pregnant with me. And I don't know if you would call that prenatal. So I would respectfully offer, I believe when I was in the womb, what I was experiencing was trauma and fear. And I was born in fear. And so for me, Many years later, when I had a couple of years of substance recovery, that's when I began a great psychiatrist, a great therapist, some EMDR, and the beginning of a journey that led to me achieving clarity for the first time in my life. So thank you, sacred friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much, Brian, for the invite. I'll yeah. see you. I'll be in the 512 soon. Awesome. Oh, well, let, let's say hello to your sacred child. I love your sacred child. Let's say hello to him. <laughs> Please say hello to your sacred son. Will do. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thanks, Morgan Grace. God bless. Y'all have a good one. I am Brian O'Shea. We're here talking triumphs. I'm so grateful to Recovery Lab for this. Talking triumphs. When I think of that title, the thing that comes to mind is 
is the cognitive decision for me to move towards thinking of recovery, thinking of victory, thinking of a triumph, and that it's a choice. The idea of the dialectic is something that drives a lot of my life. The dialectic is two opposing ideas can both be true. So I can believe that I am facing a difficulty, facing a challenge, and I also can believe I have recovered from a challenge like this before, and I can recover from it again. So the idea of talking triumphs is the idea that I can choose to move towards a triumph. I have that choice. My recovery is an embodied recovery, and when I think of that, I think of breath, I think of walking slowly and mindfully, I think of the idea of being aware of what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing, and what I'm feeling. That idea of I can take in and process and be attuned to what's happening, and I can then choose to move towards a place of safety, move, choose to move towards a feeling of safety, move to choose to move towards a decision of safety. So when I think of talking triumphs, I think of that idea. There's a wonderful old Zen story about the two monks walking in the woods and they come upon a small river And the younger monk is looking at the mud and the rocks and the difficulty of the crossing. And the older monk is looking up in the air and watching the moonlight and the starlight come through the trees, come through the leaves, and reflect on the small stream. I believe that's a helpful thing for me to remember. And I would respectfully offer that today for us. We can choose to look at the stars or choose to look down at the mud. It's a choice that we have. Part of recovery for me has been accurately looking at what I call the avalanche of the ancestors. Accurately looking at my family's journey. My family were immigrants came into New York, escaping difficult times in Ireland. And they brought with them that fear of migration, that fear of poverty. And my ancestors brought that. And from that, understandably came life practices that included workaholism, included fear, included perfectionism, included substance misuse for some of them, not all of them, for some of them. And a repeated feeling, perhaps, was a feeling of being less than, 
And at that time in New York, there were factories that had permanent signs on the factories, Irish need not apply. And that journey, I believe, leaves a message that comes down epigenetically and comes down emotionally and comes through the journey. And for my recovery, it's been valuable to process the truth about my family's history and the great courage involved. I know some of my ancestors were the groundhogs that took a board with some wheels and a burlap sack and helped dig the tunnels, and the tunnels would collapse sometimes. And they became firemen, they became policemen. Originally, that was available to them. It had a lot to do with those were dangerous jobs. So they were allowed to get those jobs. And the courage that comes from my family, that's also part of that journey. In my recovery, I have found it very helpful to practice EMDR and to have practitioners take me through EMDR. The first time was early on in my substance recovery practice. The next time was a year after September 11th. And then the next time was only about five years ago. I had been working a lot and I had developed some night terrors where I would wake up and jump out of the bed. And I had EMDR the third time. It was very, very helpful for me. So it was interesting for me. It was three different practitioners in three different states, three different times in my life, and all three times it helped me. And it's very valuable to remember this podcast, my talking about anything, this does not constitute any kind of professional relationship. This is not advice for you. This is just my telling my story. Another big part of my life has been learning how to do the mindful walking and learning how to do breath work. That's been very, very, very helpful. And it's interesting how that embodied practice helps my practices that include cognitive behavioral therapy and dialectical behavioral therapy, both therapies that I have experienced and studied. And that idea of life moves in a spiritual, mental, emotional, physical way. Some things touch all four, some things only touch one or two. That idea of a multidisciplinary recovery is one that has helped me very, very much. To be here on Recovery Lab is a great honor. I like the idea of looking at there are many paths to recover. I believe it was Russell Brand that said, there are as many ways to recover as there are people who need to recover. And I believe that. I don't believe what I have done is what everyone needs to do. And in my life and in my work, 
I try to listen deeply and I try to hear and I try to offer some ideas and each person seeing them accurately and seeing them correctly is, I think, incredibly valuable. Some of what I study are Carl Jung's writings and Carl Jung's ideas. <clears throat> Carl Jung played a key role in the creation of Alcoholics Anonymous. And Carl Jung carved over the entrance of his home a old quote from Erasmus the Stoic, an old Latin quote, advocat con advocatus. And roughly that translates to called or not called, the divine mystery will be there. <clears throat> that idea of called or not called, very, very powerful for me. I know my recovery has been always and is today a choice every morning. Do I move towards recovery? Do I move towards intentionality? Do I move towards silence? Do I practice some mindful walking? Do I reach out to important people in my life who I know will reflect accurately back to me how I'm doing and who have the courage to tell me when my thinking is not accurate, I'm not seeing something accurately. Called or not called, the divine will be there. That idea was so powerful that they've put it on the entrance to the Jung centers all over the world. And I believe it applies to every part of recovery that I've experienced in that it's asking us, will we move out of isolation? Will we choose to move towards community? choose to move towards an idea that's helpful for us, be it cognitive, be it dialectic, be it something in the polyvagal sciences, something in CRM. Will we move towards something that helps us heal? Someone who helps us heal. It's been my experience that in isolation, for me, very little recovery occurred. That for me, having a teacher, having a therapist, having a spiritual guide person, and having community of some kind has been very, very, very helpful. I'm very blessed for the teachings that I have been taught at Northminster Church. I'm very blessed for what I've learned at the Thich Nhat Hanh retreats. I'm very blessed for the Zen practices practiced at the Wolf Fine Art Studio. I'm very blessed to have these many different ideas and practices that help me recover. Something that helps me is to choose gratitude. I believe it's a choice. I believe I can choose to move towards gratitude. And 
a big part of that for me has included self-forgiveness. I believe the practice of self-forgiveness is one of the most important things that I have been able to practice, and I was resistant to it for a long time. The idea of self-forgiveness, I believe, facilitates my recovery. One of the teachings I've been blessed to have is from a Zen teacher. The Zen teacher taught me that my practicing self-forgiveness, my deepening compassion, self-compassion, improves my ability to love others, to have compassion for others. That idea is very valuable to me. If I want to be better at loving my family and friends and those who I interact with, a part of that is for me to practice self-forgiveness and self-compassion. I'm also reminded of mindfulness. Mindfulness for me is a daily goal and a daily challenge. And I like the idea of calling it a practice because I'm never fully, absolutely there. Every day is a new day to practice mindfulness. There's a wonderful old Zen story of the beautiful small village in the foothills of the mountains. A picturesque village with one road running north and south, one road running east and west. And on one of the corners in the town square, a beautiful small restaurant, and the four friends are sitting, waiting for their table to be available. They're sitting outside on the bench, watching the town square. And they notice coming down from the north a huge cloud of dust. A horse is coming at a tremendous speed. And the horse comes into the town square, comes all the way around, and pulls up sharply right in front of them. And one of the friends was kind of like me. He was somebody who talked too much. And he jumped up and asked the rider, 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 you have such momentum. This is such a magnificent horse. Your horse has some armor. You're wearing some armor. This is such a magnificent horse. You're moving with such urgency and such power. Where are you going, Ryder? Where are you going in such a hurry with such momentum? Where are you going? And the Ryder kind of looked down at the four guys on the bench and he said, you're going to have to ask this horse. (laughs) And I love that idea, the idea that sometimes I'm being led through my day with a working goal or a workaholic goal Sometimes I'm being led through my day with perfectionism. Sometimes I'm being led through my day with a feeling of I'm not good enough. I'm not powerful enough. But I'm running. I'm running through my day. And it's helpful to remember this story. You have to ask this horse. And I pull myself over, if you will, and sit and practice a little breath. And I ask myself, Who's running me today? Is it 
my work life running me today or my perfectionistic life running me today or my less than feeling life working me today? Who's running me today? And taking that moment and practicing some breath and coming back to an embodied practice, coming back to breath, coming back to my true self, my wise mind, the ideas that I am enough, the ideas that I'm doing enough, the ideas that I'm practicing life in a good way. And then I'm no longer being run around. I'm no longer being led. I'm back to being more present. I'm back to being myself, my better self, my best self, my true self, accessing the wise mind. The wise mind is a part of how I like to look at life. You know, we have the emotional mind on one side, the rational mind on the other side, and where they meet, they overlap. And that area where they overlap, where the rational mind and the emotional mind overlap, that area is the wise mind, where I have some rationality and some emotionality, but not too much of either. I would also like to offer the idea of asking for help and how difficult that is. It is a difficult thing to ask for help, often in society and due to the avalanche of our ancestors. We have been instructed to never ask for help. We have been instructed to move forward, work hard, and don't talk about weaknesses, don't talk about fears, don't ask for help. I would like to respectfully offer for our consideration that there's great wisdom in asking for help. There's great power in asking for help. That idea takes courage, and it's the beginning of new wisdom. The idea that I see someone here I admire, I'm going to ask them for their opinion about what I'm doing. When I look back at my life, I've been very blessed with many, many great teachers. A lot of my wisdom has come from a dear friend who owns a small independent bookstore, and he on and off has been my friend, giving me good wisdom and good books to read my whole life. That bookstore has been a part of my life over 40 years, and his guidance, guiding me to wisdom, has been a big part of my life. And I'm very, very grateful. Very, very grateful.